Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Thomas Round, who is a GP in East London and an NIHR Doctoral Research Fellow. Um, I should also mention that Tom is also an associate editor at the BJGP. And the paper that he came on to talk about was Cancer Detection via Primary Care Urgent Referral and Association with Practice Characteristics, a retrospective cross-sectional study in England from 2910 to 2018 So basically, this is a paper all about two-week waits. So I started by asking Tom to tell us a little bit more about the background to this and to his study. Yeah, so uh, thanks, Ewan. This study is part of my NIHR Doctoral Research Fellowship, which is my PhD. Uh, and this started off uh, really quite a few years ago now. I was at a talk and it showed a big variation in how GPs utilise two-week wait. Uh, and it was always, always interesting in cancer. One of my first cases as a, as a registrar was um, a patient presenting with back pain, which actually turned out to be lung cancer. So I was always interested about, you know, red flag sound optimist cancer and how we might utilise two-week wait to help our patients to access diagnostic testing. Um, so that was a, that was the start of the PhD, and I put a PhD proposal together. We had a paper published last year with BJGP showing that practices who refer more detect more cancers, but also that improves outcomes. Um, so that's one of the first papers to show that for different different cancer types. So we all, and also showed a stage shift, so more stage one and two cancers if you were a patient from a higher referring higher utilisation of the two-week wait pathway. So that then linked into this piece of work, which was actually looking at uh, the change over time in 10 years uh, of utilising the two-week wait pathway. And GPs will know this pathway as we can um, access diagnostic testing or see a specialist ideally within two weeks. So no, that isn't always the case, especially within the pressure that the service is under. Um, and we really wanted to see what, what changes over time. We knew the nice, new NICE guidelines came in in 2015, which lowered the threshold to refer. Um, uh, we want to see also what was social practice uh, and population characteristics associated with use of the referrals. Okay, so we're going, we, we know that this was a period where there was quite a lot of change with NICE and, you know, a determination to get more people through the two-week uh, weight pathway. And the, the threshold went from 5% to 3%. I think that was right. So this, this study was very much looking at what then happened to the numbers in particular, you know, obviously associated factors, but we'll come to those in a bit. But what happened with the numbers in those two-week waits? So I think probably this is the point that, to get you to tell us a little bit about what you found, Tom. Yeah, so, um, well, I think I guess the other thing to say is that the UK doesn't do so well as other comparable countries uh, for cancer. So, you know, we're actually investing in allowing GPs to refer more really does make sense. What we found was even before NICE, referrals were going up 10% year on year. So we started off just under a million referrals in 2009-10. And, and in the last year, we looked at 2018-19, 10 years later, it had gone up to two point, over 2.2 million. So that's a sort of more than doubling 10% year on year increase. And actually, that was in predating NICE. So it's really continued that trend of increasing referrals. And the predictive value of our referrals, so I, I'd actually tell that to patients, say, what, you know, in terms of our referring, what chance of cancer do you have? Previously, it was one in 10, so 10% uh, predict, prediction of cancer. That's dropped to less than 7%. So I do use that in my clinical practice, say, look, I'm, there's enough worry that I need to refer you on one of these uh, uh, urgent pathways. Uh, the chance of something serious like cancer is less, you know, seven in a hundred or less than one in ten. So, you know, there's enough risk there. We do refer, but patients don't don't necessarily feel worried. The majority won't have cancer. And actually, also over that ten years, we found a real significant improvement in how many cancers picked up by the pathway. So that's gone from forty-one percent cancer detection. So that's the, all cancers in the cancer waiting time database. Forty-one percent were two-week wait referrals. That's gone up to fifty-two percent. 
And I think that's important because over that same time, we've seen a reduction in emergency route. I, I wouldn't use the word A&E diagnosis. People aren't diagnosed with cancer in A&E. It's that they have some kind of emergency activity. And of course, for some cancers, that makes sense. You know, someone might have a first bit seizure. That's an appropriate uh, emergency contact. But we do know those patients generally have worse outcomes. So actually, uh, we know if you are a GP referred in, whether that's too weight or, or, or routine referral, you have generally better outcomes. So I think that makes sense. And it's a the research really, sh- um, you know, over a period of 10 years of austerity, that GPs have been referring to over 2 million people a year. It's a testament to primary care, GPs and secondary care to manage that. And actually keeping most people, you know, 80, 85% of people seen within two weeks is, is actually amazing. Yeah, I think we we should celebrate that. It's, that it's been a not insignificant um, change and a lot of extra work for GPs and practices. I think at one point in your paper, and it's worth it, I might get you to just tell them what the, mm. the, the, the numbers are big and it's hard to get a handle on that, what that actually means for your average general practice in terms of number of patients and referrals. Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously the number of referrals per GP have gone up. So if you look at a full-time GP, on average, making maybe one referral a week on the two-way pathway. And you know, if you think about the population of uh, adult population of England, actually two, two million people going through this process Every year is a substantial percentage of the, of the general population. Um, so I really think hats off. But of course, there's not uh, there is variation between different pathways. So overall, we think overall we're going in the right trend. However, there's a it needs to be more research looking at different pathways. A good example might be lower GI. So um, about four hundred thousand referrals pre-pandemic. That's obviously dropped, and we can talk maybe a little bit later on about the impact of the COVID nineteen pandemic. But overall, uh, you know, around four hundred thousand referrals. The predi- uh, predictive value of those referrals about three to four percent so lower than the uh, overall for all cancers actually picking up less cancers than average so maybe about 45 percent. so some pathways seem to be working better than others and that's maybe a push something something like lower gi to use more fit testing more more triage testing in primary care and there's a real need really for health economic analysis has been sort of a limited health health economics in this area i know willie hamilton and his team in Exeter have been looking a, a, a bit about, a bit about this and lowering thresholds, but I think also we need a sort of new, nuanced approach for different pathways seem to be more effective than others. Yeah, so um, a, a good news story all around. I think yeah. this in terms of you know impressive um, results with more people going through and um, more cancers getting dis- getting detected by the two-week pathway. Yeah. There were some um, specific details about associations and some areas that we need to work on in particular that got highlighted by your study as well, weren't there? Yeah, so the previous work had only looked at one year's referral data. So we actually looked at the whole 10 years and association with practice characteristics. And we took out some of the key practice uh, characteristics, characteristics such as practice list size, number of uh, patients per GP, uh, and we found actually that if you were a patient from a larger practice, a large practice, they seem to be referring more. And that might make sense, actually, if you're a large practice, you may be seeing more cancers coming through, maybe some something around sort of shared learning. Uh, we also found that um, if you are a younger GP, they are doing more to be referrals. However, over time, that difference between older and younger, younger GPs become much less pronounced over the 10 years. I think that's really interesting. And that's a testament maybe to the diffusion of nice guidelines into clinical practice. Also, the changes it, we have seen in primary care. So uh, practice closures, practice mergers, in, mergers generally larger practices. Um, I think they're doing more um, referral and, and testing activity. Yeah, so interesting. So although there was a difference between the young and the old GPs, particularly older GPs referring fewer near the start, that had that gap had closed by the time you got towards the end of the period. 
I mean, as, as an idea, it was at the beginning of the study, it was a 6% difference be between younger and older GPs in cancer detection. That's dropped to 2 to 3%. So it's basically halved that difference. So, we, we, you know, still in that big data set, statistically significant, but become much less so over the 10 years. And one other factor we should mention is you mentioned particularly a, a slightly a finding which hadn't been come through before about deprivation. Yeah. So actually what we found in the mo more recent years are actually more deprived practices seem to be picking up less cancer. And that's a cause for concern, particularly given the inverse care law. And we know that practices, I work in the deprived area, we know actually the funding models don't match. And we had an editorial where we discussed about the 50 years of the inverse care law. So actually, that's a, you know, a message to policy and practice makers. We need more investment in deprived areas to pick up more cancers. And actually, that's where the most need is, you know, particularly with social determinants of health, higher smoking, drug use, etc. Okay, Tom, where do you think this is going in the future in terms of we're down to from five to three percent? Obviously, we're, you've mentioned already about, you know, the economic analysis. Do you yeah. think when we're going to move to the point where the, the threshold needs to come down further, where it's too early to say, uh, where do you think we're going to be? Well, that's really interesting because obviously, we've, got, we've, we've, you know, if you look at the five, ten years, we've gone up significantly and it has made a, we have shown that's made a significant impact. Uh, I think going forward, we certainly need a more nuanced approach, looking at different pathways of cost effectiveness of the gold standard tests. A good example, uh, and also, um, you know, we look at Denmark model as well. Denmark has a similar model of strong gatekeeper function, maybe less access to CT, MRI, endoscopy than other countries. Um, people might be aware of the um, the rapid diagnostic centres, and there's been some papers published in BJGP about that. So that's kind of being rolled out across the country. And I think we need to be both aware of that as GPs, that actually that really is a route to access, access CT scanning. Other countries like Australia don't need RDCs because they, the GPs can access CT scanning uh, and gold standard testing. So actually, this is a route in that we can start utilising if we're worried about a patient, not quite sure which pathway, but I've got this gut feeling, and we know gut feeling has a strong predictive value from other research from Brian Nicholson and colleagues. Actually, you know, if you've got a gut feeling, you're not quite sure what's going on, maybe weight loss, vague symptoms, utilise these RDCs. Because at the moment, we're maybe picking up about half of cancers via organ-specific pathways, but we really need to probably push a bit more onto the non-specific um, symptoms. I should say also, Willie Hamilton has done some research recently published in BJC look at using CPRD, looking about lowering the threshold a bit further. And they said that does, does seem to potentially be manageable. So I think, look, going forwards, NICE may be looking at revising the NICE um, two-bone guidance. That was five, five, six years ago now. Um, so, look, I think uh, maybe some more work, more, more, more work into triage testing, prime care, particularly FITS. So that's been rolled out because of the pandemic, because of the um, aerosol generating risk around endoscopy. Um, so I think utilising FIT, some evidence base around that, and maybe also some work going on to cytosponge and other, other techniques we could use in primary care before going to the more expensive gold standard testing. And the key thing is really endoscopy is pretty expensive compared to CT scanning. Uh, so I think that health economic piece needs to be done as well. Yeah. So as you said there, the word nuance, perhaps we're not quite at the point where possibly a blanket approach in terms of the overall threshold, but actually looking at those individual pathways is going to be more key rather than anything else. I think the key thing going forward also is primary care teams. We know GPs are stretched. You know, the number of patients per GP has gone up. And in our paper, we showed it's like on average 2,300 patients per full-time GP. That's really high compared to international comparisons. So really, the investment needs to be into expanding out primary care teams and actually really upskilling pharmacists, 
primary care nurses, physicians assistants that might be coming through into recognising potential cancer symptoms and how we can get people to, into diagnostic testing. I also think liberalising the approach to tests. And actually, I have no problem with patients self-referring for tests. Look, if you've got hemoptysis coughing up blood, why can't you refer for a self-referring chest x-ray? Uh, stuff like that. There's people actually done pieces of research actually showing that patients utilize those effectively. So I really think a, a more liberal approach to patients being able to do their own testing, maybe more diet, no more triage testing, and more access for us to gold standard tests. Yeah, I think chest X-ray is an obvious one there. Not even something as dramatic as hemoptysis. It's just a persistent cough that yeah, has been yeah. so pushed so heavily in recent years that there doesn't seem a lot of necess- not always necessarily. There's an argument there that they could we we could cut out the middle person. And Leeds did a really interesting research project where they did allow that and they did, they did show a stage shift actually in more cancers picked up in lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say the pandemic has shone a light on, on different, you know, um, and we have, you know, this modelling showing maybe, um, you know, if actually the biggest for the past 12 months, our, our paper finished in 2019. So the, the, uh, the pandemic year, we showed a two 300,000 reduction. So going from 2.2 million to, wait, to just over 2 million. And, you know, actually that would be maybe 10, 10 to 20,000 less cancers picked up to be weight. So we will see probably in the next year more um, emergency diagnoses. The good news story is we now are back up to pre-pandemic referral levels. So testament to everyone, hard work, you know, whether it be online, face-to-face, you know, we're getting bashed in the press, but actually we're offering more appointments, you know, more routes than ever before. So I think actually this is a positive narrative thanks to everyone who's been working so hard. I, I think that's the ideal note for us to finish on, Tom. We're back to where we were pre-pandemic, and it has, it, as you say, it, um, it only highlights the incredible work that is getting done in primary care and general practice just now. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.